Hello and welcome to the first Tai Chi Notebook podcast of 2023. Happy Year of the Rabbit. My guest for this episode is Will Wayne Williams. Will has a background in Tai Chi Mantis Kung Fu, which he trained in China, where he lived for 13 years. He's also travelled around China documenting ancient Kung Fu systems for his YouTube channel, Monkey Steals Peach. Here we talk about Will's travels, as well as his upcoming trip to Taiwan, and how he's recently started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, here he is. Will, hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. You? Excellent. I'm very good. I'm in very cold Britain, and you're in, it looks like very warm Australia. How is it over there? Warm, but raining. Oh, right, okay. So, um, we've got no rain, but it's bloody freezing in Britain at the moment. Had a real cold snap. Uh, I don't envy you there. No. <laughs> Obviously, you're from Britain at some point. I can tell mm. by the accent. Yeah. So how did you end up in Australia? Well, I spent 13 years living in China, and it kind of got to the point where I was like, you know, this this is enough now. Right. 13 years is a long time, but I didn't want to go back to the UK, so... I don't blame you. you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Australia was a place that I'd been... Um, quite a few, I visited quite a few times to escape China's winter, mm. you know, coming back to the Southern Hemisphere. So I thought, yeah, this is a pretty nice place. Um, so I came over here, did a master's degree, uh, just finished that last year. And then, yeah, on my way to try and get permanent residence. Your, your, your main style you started with is Mantis, wasn't it? Did you start that in the UK? No, actually, I, I started Wing Chun in the UK. Okay. And then I... I kind of stumbled upon Mantis when I moved to China, purely just through chance, I guess, because originally I I was actually looking for an English teaching job in Guangdong province because I was involved in Wing Chun. So I thought, you know, Mm Guangdong is where Wing Chun's from, but I couldn't find any work there. And I ended up getting a job in Qingdao in Shandong province. And I, I had no idea at the time, but it turned out that Shandong is the home of Mantis. So... When I found that out, it was just kind of natural to... Right place, to right time. Right? Yeah, interesting. And uh, what was it initially about Mantis that tempted you away from Wing Chun? I think it was just kind of like... Mantis has a bit of everything because it's a very comprehensive system. Mm. One of the things with Wing Chun is almost all of the training really is paired training which obviously is great mm. like you need to do you need to do applications you need to do sparring you need to do sticky hands and all of that but you know you don't always have a training partner with you which is something can you know mention about jujitsu a bit later but mantis is is very complete and very comprehensive and it, it uses the body probably um, um it makes more use of the body i imagine yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly because when, when showing the, the solo forms are, they're, they're not stationary but they're not far off stationary are they yeah, exactly. So, you know, because we spend a lot of time solo training, right? You don't always have people that you can train with. So, you know, when you're at home by yourself, it's kind of hard with Wing Chun to really get like a workout just from doing the art itself. Mm. Whereas Mantis, because of the way it uses the body, you know, it does train sort of every aspect, you know, conditioning, cardio, you know, leg strength, back strength. So yeah, so it's like taking multivitamins instead of taking just vitamin C, you know, <laughs> it's a yeah. bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, interesting. I've seen you do some of your mantis forms, they look really, really good. Mm. And that, like like you say, the, the, you do you do a lot of range of motion in the mantis mm. stuff, don't you? It's very, yeah. um, it's, uh, see, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe what I've seen you do as like wushu, it's not being done for aesthetic reasons. It all looks quite practical, but it does involve stretching out the hands, stretching back the yeah. head. There's this forward bending, backward bending. You know, it's not. It's very far away from just sort of like let's just stay vertical and turn slightly. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And you've you've also researched the history of various Chinese martial arts in China on what turned into documentaries through your through your website. Do you want to talk a bit about those and what you've done? Yeah. So. When I first moved to China, I I started writing a little blog and that kind of grew into a website. And I always had this idea that I wanted to make videos, but I was so bad at talking on camera Mm. that it took years to just really actually be able to do it. Honestly, I tried so many times, like I'd I'd go out 
in Yantai where I was living and I'd take a camera and I'd try and film some little vlog to like explain some stuff and it was just a failure. There was <laughs> so many failed attempts. But yeah. Finally, one day I was like, okay, you know, I've just got to, I just got to do it. And I, I basically just like planned a trip to go and interview some martial art masters because I kind of gave myself like, there's no way out if I plan all this now. Um, so I just, yeah, kind of forced myself into it, burnt the bridge so there was no going back. And yeah. Finally, it kind of worked. Nice. And what was the first the first sort of set of masters you went to visit? Um, the very first one I did was actually, I went to Singapore, uh, which kind of seems a little bit weird when I was living in China, but uh, I had a couple of friends in Singapore that had quite a lot of connections there with different uh, masters of different styles, both Chinese styles and Malay, uh, some Malay silat. Mm. Um, so yeah, as the opportunity presented itself, that was kind of my first, you know, my first attempt at filming stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think when the channel really sort of like got its feet on the ground and when it really got going was when I went to um, the villages around Shaolin Temple to cover like the old styles of Shaolin. Oh, nice. I think that was the thing when I really, you know, people really started to notice what I was doing. Because a lot of these are on YouTube, aren't they? Because you, yeah, I yeah. think, you, do you give it to your patrons first and then, then it goes on YouTube? Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. patrons get early access and there's some extra um, videos and things they get on there as well. Right, yeah. So like a little bit more sort of nerdy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> the deeper details. Yeah. yeah, but I remember you, you did a lot of stuff about the history of Shaolin. Yeah. Because obviously that's contentious. For a lot of reasons mm. and we're never quite being told the full story are we and it was interesting to see you actually go there and walk around these places and meet the people mm. you know and actually do it firsthand which was good yeah because i think what was kind of interesting for me about that was all these sort of online arguments and and you know everyone's like an online expert and so many people were like oh you know shaolin kung fu was dead there was nothing there until they reopened the temple after they filmed the, the movie um, with Jet Li. And like what people forget is that, you know, the Shaolin Temple isn't just in the middle of nowhere. It's mm. in the most densely populated part of China. I mean, the town of Dungfeng, uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head, the population, but I'm pretty sure it, it's possibly even pushing a million. I mean, it's a big mm. place and mm. it's still only one hour or so away from Zhengzhou, which is the provincial capital. I mean, it's a hugely populated area. So, I mean, it's not just like, yeah, the Shaolin Temple um, was burnt down by by uh, a warlord in I think, 1929. Mm. But, you know, there's still so many people in the area that this this heritage, you know, this, this culture was still there. People were still practicing. I mean, it was a building that was burnt down. Mm. Exactly. And the, the Kung Fu lives in people, not in buildings, doesn't it? Exactly. So that was quite interesting going around the villages because you got to see a lot of the the older styles and, and, you know, how they're preserved. And some stuff was quite similar to what they do at the temple, but some stuff's a little bit different as well. There's a little bit sort of, I guess, like being an archaeologist in a way, trying to dig up remains. There's very few complete systems. You know, most of these people are like quite old peasants and they've, they've gone through you know, a lot of famine and poverty and they've had a really harsh life and practicing martial arts has not been like their focus throughout their entire life, right? It's yeah, not yeah. been like priority for them. Yeah. But they have learned things, you know, to varying degrees. Some people know more than others and, you know, some people know this and some people know that. Um, so it was quite, yeah, it was interesting from that point of view. And I think you've got a, an unannounced new trip coming up as well, which you could tell all my listeners about if you like. Yeah, so I'm going to Taiwan next week, actually, which is going to be interesting for me because, you know, as I said earlier, I've spent 13 years in China and I've been, you know, Hong Kong and Malaysia and, and throughout Southeast Asia. But up to now, I've never been to Taiwan before. So mm. that's going to be really interesting, sort of from the martial point of view, but also just to see the culture and society because it's kind of like, I guess you could say, you know, the, the other side of the story yeah well it, when it's a political hot potato as well isn't it right now with um with china yes, very much yeah. so, so i mean who knows what's going to happen while you're there i mean maybe <laughs> maybe some invasion will break out but let's hope not yeah i think they have been flying some planes into taiwanese airspace 
yeah. just in the last couple of weeks. I know. The, the whole Ukraine thing has taught us anything. This is how they start. It's military yeah. exercises getting bigger exactly. and bigger and bigger next to it. And then, then it almost becomes this inevitable, it has to happen sort of problem, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, without going too far into the politics, though, uh, I don't think China actually would invade Taiwan. Um, because it's better to have this sort of constant, what, what's the word? Propaganda like, sort of, thing. Yeah, this sort of idea of like the potential that we could take back Taiwan if yeah. we wanted. It's, you know, a whole sort of 1984 thing of having this constant idea of like an enemy at the gates. Yeah, yeah. I, and it, I guess it's a great distraction, isn't it? A distraction tool yeah. for any scandal that breaks out in your government, you just um, exactly just put Taiwan just back on the fly Taiwan. a few planes over, <laughs> yeah. put it back on the headlines, and uh, bury the bad news. You know, exactly. I mean, you know, I really hope nothing does break out because America's involved, and I think the last thing the world needs right now is America and China getting at it. So. Yeah, I there's there's not enough to gain and too much to lose. I, no, yeah, I don't exactly. Think. But it's an interesting place to look at in terms of martial arts, isn't it? Because a lot of the you know when the communists and the nationalists were fighting in China, a lot of the nationalists escaped to Taiwan and they kind of mm. took their martial arts with them. But obviously, there would have been stuff that was already there that was perhaps older than that. So I guess you've got like an interesting mix of of things, and it will. I mean, that was a long time ago as well. So everything will have developed. It's its own mm. its own way since then. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what nineteen forty nine? So that's a long time for things to develop. Um, but yeah, that's something I definitely want to focus on. Is so you know the local Taiwanese culture is mostly like Hokkien or Fujian culture. So the styles that were in Taiwan before then were things like White Crane, Taizu Chen. Dazun Chen, Luohan Chen, whatever, like all these like southern, what, what we call southern Shaolin styles. Mm -hmm. But when the Guomindang, you know, fled to Taiwan, like, you know, relocated the government there, and a lot of these masters, as you said, were loyal to the Guomindang and they were part of the Guoshuguan um, movement. So, yeah, I guess, you know, it wasn't really worth staying in China and risking, like, you know, risking the, the rile of the Communist Party. So a lot of them went over to Taiwan and that's when all these northern styles came in. Mm. You know, you've got Dingyi and Bagua and Longfist and Mantis and Baji Chen and, and whatever. So um, I'm interested to look at, you know, both sides of it. Mm. Do you remember that BBC documentary, Way of the Warrior? I mean, it was before my yeah, time. Yeah, I do. I do <laughs> but I was, yeah. I've seen it on YouTube. And Hungi Shang is on there, and his son's on there too, um, doing mm. Shingi. Um, I think he does a swallow form. Um, ah, it's been so long since I saw that. I, I can remember Hongi Shang because he's got a really big belly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Trousers pulled. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, yeah. And his son's on there doing the swallow from Shingi, and it, it's very nice. Um, yeah, it's got that particular look of Koshu about it. And, and they were interesting because they started wearing karate uniforms almost and took a lot of influence from Japan and things like that about the way the way they presented the art, which was, I, I thought, I've I've never quite got to the bottom of why they kind of put all, almost yeah, these I mean, judo suits on. Yeah, I mean, association, Tang Shou Dao, which is the Chinese pronunciation of karate, or like the old name for karate, you know, right, it's called yeah. Because I am hoping to meet his son, hmm. um... That's not a hundred percent confirmed yet, but probably. And so that that will be something that I would like to find out about. I mean, I'm gonna guess maybe it's because you know Japan was uh, sorry Taiwan was a Japanese colony uh, before World War Two, so there's quite a bit of culture, a Japanese cultural influence in Taiwan. Yeah, quite possible, isn't it? But that's just speculation. I don't, otherwise, I don't know. It's interesting anyway. It's a strange anomaly that I've always wondered about. Mm. If you can get to the bottom of that for me, that would be great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just send you out there to solve these problems for me. <laughs> yeah, ah, very interesting. So that's your your history in, in martial arts. It's very, very much into Chinese stuff. And you've got a vast mm. knowledge of all these different systems. And you've met a lot of the actual masters of these systems. I mean, you also did a... Like one of your documentaries, you went around looking at uh, Shingi 
and Shinny Luha. Yeah, yeah. Which was like that was a fascinating trip. But you, but you met a lot of these people who 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 had the family name of these systems. Mm. You know, you're very well versed in all these different Chinese arts. And then you started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, <laughs> <laughs> which I find interesting because I did the same thing. I started back in 2011. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, what drew you to that and why you got involved? You know, honestly, I just wanted to do something completely different and new, something I've never done before. I think that was the main thing because, you know, I like to, I like to challenge myself. I think it's important you know, to keep growing as a person and, and giving yourself, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and doing things that are new is probably the best way to do that. And like, I, I finished learning the, the, the whole system of, of Taiji Mantis. And I kind of was thinking to myself, you know, I've got my own system, my own training, and that's something that's going to be with me for life. You know, it's something that once you've got, you've always got. And you're always going to be growing and developing with it. But at the same time, it was like, I kind of want something new. And I miss that feeling of being a beginner again. Mm. But it's like, well, if I just go and learn another style of Kung Fu, I mean, really, it's just like, you know, collecting more techniques, more forms. I mean, look, the, the application, the principles and stuff are not really that different, honestly, between different styles. I don't think there's very much... Um, you know, when it really comes to using it. So it would really just be collecting more stuff. And I didn't really see any benefit in that. Whereas I've never done any proper formal grappling before, mm. especially not ground stuff. So I thought, you know, this would be a great way to to try so, you know, something completely you know, out there and different. Very similar to my thoughts at the time as well. I just wanted to try something different. Mm. And something I had no experience of, and that was a challenge. And then, boy, what a what a challenge it turns out to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very humbling as well. You know, you go right yeah. back to, and when you're on the ground, it's like anything else you've learnt is kind of completely gone out the window, and you're back to just like I remember the first couple of times I was rolling, I didn't even know how to begin. You sort of do your little fist bump thing, and then like, mm. okay, now what do I do? sort of roll yeah. on the floor like a fish and <laughs> flop a bit and then someone suddenly starts choking you and you're trying to like get out of it and you know yeah it's that white belt thing isn't it with jiu-jitsu it's, yeah. it's the white belt experience is, is initially it's completely being overwhelmed it's like a fog really because you, you have no idea what's happening or how these mm. people are managing to do what they're doing to you because you're trying to stop them and you can't you, you've just got like you haven't got the the technology to stop them and then it's yeah. a bit like a fog. And then, like, over time, as you begin to learn bits and bobs, it gradually clears and you can start to see things. And you think, oh, well, that, I, that's what he's doing. I get it. I get what he's doing. doesn't mean you can do them, but at least you can start to see yeah. them. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just, I think I'm just, like, I got my first stripe a few months back. Yeah. I think I'm just getting to that point now where... Kind of a big deal now, eh? One stripe. <laughs> I'm, now, I'm now an internet expert <laughs> exactly you're now fully qualified to lecture everyone about jiu-jitsu on the internet yeah. perfect <laughs> but yeah it's just getting you know just starting to get to that point where i'm like okay so i know what the main positions are and yeah still can't really do very much but that's the other at thing least know what's being done to me chinese martial art has stances right mm. but brazilian jiu-jitsu has positions yeah and that's that's a different sort of way of thinking about fighting as well. I found mm. is that it's all about understanding the position you're in and the, and the sort of hierarchy of like good to bad um, yeah. within the positions. Like obviously the bottom of mount or someone on your back being the worst, mm. and then like working back up from there to where you're on mount. Yeah. Um, well, I think for me, being on the bottom of side control is the absolute worst position. Yeah. It's where I always end up and probably spend most of the five minutes of the roll. I mean, I've, I've been doing jiu-jitsu a long time now. Mm. I remember for the first five years, six years, side control is the main problem. Mm. And also the main place you go to to hold other people down. Because it's yeah. less risky than mount and less difficult than back control, you know, to get... Mm. Everything happens in a side control, and being on the bottom is miserable. 
isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely. It's called the hundred kilos position, San kilos. Um, exactly, and 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 for me being quite small, most people being a lot bigger than me as well. It's, yeah, uh, I spend most of my time being suffocated and crushed. How long do your rolling rounds last? Uh, usually five minutes. Sometimes we do seven or eight minutes. Seven or eight is quite long. I remember when I started, there was no such thing as rounds. The half the class was technique and stuff. Then the second half was just rolling, and you just rolled. You know, I'd go with Big Kev. <laughs> he was well over 100 kilograms. And he would hold me in side control for literally 20 minutes. Because oh, there was no time limit. And, and he'd wait until, like, right to the end of the class, then submit me. <laughs> and I was like... And I say, well, wh- why are you doing that? Why don't you? Why don't you want to just like try something? Goes, I'm just learning to put my weight down. And I think, Kev, you've you've got it, mate. You don't need to. You don't need to practice this. You've got it. It's fine. But it was oh, it's miserable. I remember those days. But that's mm. the the alchemical process you have to go through, where you have to face hardship before you can progress on to getting good at something. I think it's. Yeah, in, I, I think, think it's that's, important. That's the big reward, I think, is like. Uh, maybe I'm like masochistic or something, but I, I'm, you know, really enjoying that process. And I'm, yeah, it's so nice to be back to the beginning and, and being in something where it's like, yeah, I think if you don't go through that fire, it doesn't mean anything when you get out the other side. If you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of jiu-jitsu, we talked about that, like how overwhelming it is when you start. But what about the techniques themselves? How do, how do you find those compared to Chinese stuff? Well. That's quite a difficult one. Let me kind of think about this. Hmm. So I think one of the things that's crossed over quite well has just been that sensitivity and understanding of both my own balance and center as well as the opponents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helped me pick things up faster because... You know, you, you can feel like when, you know, people have got you in side control or, or whatever position you're in, you know, if you've got someone in closed guard and they're just sort of kneeling there, like, you quite, you know, I'm already quite aware of where the centre of gravity is and where the pressure is and where it isn't. Mm. And that's something that's definitely come over from having done a lot of push hands and sticky hands and those sorts of things. Recently, I've started, like, because in the beginning, my teacher always has, has us just starting rolling on our knees but now I'm trying to to stand up as often as I can and and, and do stand up as well and then it's in the stand up where I found that a lot of my mantis stuff now comes in Mm. although the big difference is when you're sparring in primarily striking arts that also have takedowns people tend to stand sort of side on like a bladed stance so a lot of mantis takedowns are dealing with people standing that way. Mm. So now that, you know, I've got other people grappling and they're sort of standing more like square on and keeping their legs far back. Yeah, and head, re- head down really low. Tense. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a lot harder to get like the classical Kung Fu takedowns that I'm used to. Um, so that's been like a big challenge. But a lot of the stuff like my, uh, my hand speed for mantis is quite fast. And, and, and a lot of the hooking and trapping stuff mm. has has helped quite a lot with stand-up. And, and clinching as well. Mantis has a lot of clinching. You know, there's been a lot of crossover on that side. Yeah, because that jiu-jitsu uses a wrestling stance, basically, doesn't it? Like, yeah. You keep your hips back, your arms are in, elbows in, mm-hmm. hands pointing forward, head down and forward. It's a yeah. very difficult stance to actually take down because there are no punches involved, so you can put your head in the way. Because you don't have to worry about somebody punching it. So it, it even messes up a lot of judo people. Because in judo, you tend to stand upright more. You know, because yeah. cause there are no leg attacks in judo. Like, you can't grab the legs. It's against the rules. Mm. So they tend to stand upright more. Whereas we want to keep our legs and hips as far back. Because you totally can just grab someone's leg. Yeah. Lift it up. And um, barrel them over, you know. So, and, and equally, I found a lot of the takedowns I got from Chinese martial arts are also working on the assumption that strikes are involved so you're more upright and you're keeping yeah. your head back as opposed to leaning in and doing a wrestling based thing mm, for it's, sure it's an interesting it's an interesting it, it makes you think again about stance and 
all the things that contribute to like a martial arts style. Mm. What are the reactions like from um, your friends and colleagues in the Chinese martial art community <laughs> to you starting uh, jiu-jitsu? Well, some people thought it was great. Some, um, you know, some people are very interested to hear about my journey and what I'm doing. And actually, some people said they were unsubscribing from my channel now that I'm <laughs> joining the Gracie cult, <laughs> as they put it. You've crossed so to the dark was, side. Uh, yeah. Very, um, I didn't realise it. it's quite so um, it's divisive. Po it's polarising, isn't it? Yeah. And I don't get it myself. Because, I mean, one, one, of my, one of my teachers, my Shingi teacher, Damon, his whole philosophy of, of life, is, it, it kind of comes from his background in Kempo, which is learn as many martial arts as you can. You know, there's, mm. it's, it's a really open sort of philosophy to martial arts. So mm. um, obviously he's just like, oh, you started jiu-jitsu. Can I learn some off you? You know, and it's, mm. <laughs> it's, it's like um, the complete opposite to these. Uh, I, I, and some of my Chinese martial arts friends kind of took great offense to me like abandoning their art, so-called, yeah, and starting jiu-jitsu. They, they took it almost like a personal attack on the effectiveness of what they were doing or something like that, which, I, which is, it's almost like they've, identif they've overly identified themselves with the martial art they're doing. Like, it, it's not an attack on you if I go and train something else. It's fine, you know. Yeah. Why are you so well, worried? I, mean, <laughs> I think that a lot of people in the Chinese martial arts world have this idea of modern martial arts which would be which would include mma jiu-jitsu you know muay thai sort of anything like that they sort of have this idea of like an us and them thing and you know i think that's been proliferated a little bit by like youtube comment sections because i get mm. like comments on my channel all the time like oh try this in mma yeah try this in the ring or whatever so people think that that's what most mma people are like but the gym that i train at yeah we 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 do, you know, jiu-jitsu, we do kickboxing, Muay Thai, do MMA as well. And there's nobody like that. Like, everybody is so <laughs> nice, so supportive. It, it's such a great environment. And people ask me, oh, you do Chinese Kung Fu? Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, they ask me about it. Like, people are mm. just genuinely interested in what it's all about. And I found when I joined some Facebook groups, um, BJJ Facebook groups, I was just surprised how different it was to, like, the Kung Fu Facebook groups. Yeah, you know, it is, isn't it? It is. Everybody's yeah. congratulating each other on stripes and promotions. People are asking for tips. They're like talking about hardships they've gone through in life and how jujitsu's helped them get out the other side. And then, you know, in the Kung Fu world, we're just like threatening each other over whether your elbow should be in or out. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just so different. Yeah. Yeah, I find the same thing. I mean, I've, I've always been quite open with everyone that I was train jiu-jitsu with that I, I used to do Tai Chi and everyone's just been like oh that's cool like mm. no one has started jumping around doing kung fu poses and making animal noises and laughing at me yeah. it's like that just doesn't happen it's just um, mm. everyone's like oh that's cool you know it's interesting you know it, that's the, that's the approach it's not it's not some sort of us and them situation like you say and also that, that idea that jiu-jitsu is modern as well it's really interesting I find that really interesting because Jiu-Jitsu is it's a big topic in itself. Yeah, because yeah. Jiu-Jitsu has been in Brazil longer than karate has been in Japan. That's the truth of the matter. You know, it came from Okinawa to Japan not that long ago at all. And yeah. Jiu-Jitsu arrived in Brazil in like 190... whatever it was, 1905 or something. It may have even been earlier than that, but it was, a, it was before karate got to Japan. So how's that for... <laughs> you know what what's a yeah, old art that raises the question of then well what is traditional what makes something a traditional art or a modern art because i mean taekwondo is is commonly called a traditional martial art but i'm reading a book at the moment called the killing art about the founder of it yeah i mean it's pretty much a product of the 60s and 70s yes absolutely and we yeah. call that traditional so you know yeah my um one of my friends, Paul, got invited to do a... He's he's one of the martial arts studies guys. Um, he do the journal. And he got invited to Korea to do a talk to quite taekwondo people about martial arts. Mm. And he said that the it's very much presented all the time as being really old and really traditional. And it's mm. it, it's it's like a, it's a political point. Yeah. 
and you, you you kind of can't say anything else. It's not it's, it's frowned upon, you know. The hmm. fact is, it's kind of just karate, right? <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what this book's talking about. It's a fascinating book. Like people that are listening should check it out. The Killing Art, it's called. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. And um, but they try and link it back to this. Um, I forgot the name of it. This traditional. There is a an older Korean thing. Taekyon. Taekyon. Where yeah. like the kicking thing. Taekyon. I actually learned Taekyon because I lived in South Korea as well uh, for a right. year. So I learned Taekyon for a short while. Ah, so he, my my friend Paul got invited to a traditional Taekyon academy when okay. he was out there, and they they made him wear this traditional outfit, mm. which looked a bit like lederhosen. <laughs> it was pretty weird, <laughs> and then and then taught him some Taekyon. He said the guy he taught him was brilliant. It was like he said it was like doing push hands with your feet. So I don't know if that that rings any bells for you. It is it, very much, yeah, because Taekyon is not. It's not like a combat art. It's like a game. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's not actually a martial art, is it? It's a sort of game. So you do it to music, a little bit like capoeira. It's kind of rhythmic. And you're stepping in this kind of triangular pattern. And then the idea is you win by either throwing the other person to the floor or kicking them in the head. And you're not allowed to like... um, Obviously, you're allowed to grab to do the throw, but you're not allowed to like block with your hands and you're not allowed to do any sort of strikes. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's, you know, th- these things that cross the boundaries between a martial art and, and something else as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, just just yesterday, this thing appeared on the internet, which was a video of Mayatsu Mieda, who was the judoka that went to Brazil and right. taught, well, allegedly taught Carlos Gracie. Although there's a lot of people that think that Carlos Gracie actually learned from a student of Mieda's. But mm. that's by the by. But the, the, the video of him is him doing what we today would call pro wrestling. So it's it's mm. like a very scripted performance and it involves some judo throws, which they just take turns at, and then someone gets out of the audience. And they're all wearing like Victorian outfits because this is 1908. And mm. some guy gets out of the audience and they get him involved and they throw him and then it's all it's, wow. it's very scripted and it's entertainment. If you want to say what is the origin of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, we tend to think of it as this art for dueling on the beaches of Rio, you know. Like, yeah. Its actual origin is entertaining the public in, like, pro-wrestling <laughs> bouts. <laughs> so it's... It's um, kind of quite similar to a lot of the shuai... Like, in, in, in China, there's, there used to be this big culture of shuai jiao being, like, a performance thing. Mm. And they would have these... Um, I think Byron put some videos on his channel yeah. of it uh, from, a t- from a TV spot on it. But, you know, it's a bit sort of mixing like a sort of comedy skit mm. with the wrestling and, you know, very much like, like pro wrestling, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the, you see those old paintings of the emperor being entertained by wrestlers. You know, they're, they're not... He's being entertained by them. They're doing an entertainment, you know. It's not, it's not like he's watching MMA. <laughs> mm. <Yeah. laughs> um, and I think this is something that people forget like, I do believe with Chinese martial art that there has always been a, a performative aspect to it. And, and when we look at forms, there are a lot of movements that, yeah, we can pull an application out of it. But I don't think when that movement was put in the form, their primary thought was, this is the most effective move ever. Yeah. There was definitely an aesthetic sort of... Um, you know, thing going on there where it's like, okay, well, you know, this pose, I'm going to, you know, do this combo and I'm going to land, I'm going to pause in this pose and then, you know, the crowd's going to cheer and then I'm going to go into the next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Movements. Yeah. And it could have been he was um, miming out fighting a series of demons and he wanted to pose yeah. after he, he's done each one and, and, the, and, the, yeah. and the audience would have known what he was doing and it would have mm. all been part of the show, you know. And then those movements get handed down over the generations, I guess, and they end up in forms, and people think, well, this is this was purely about fighting, you know. Mm. These are obviously the most um, efficient ways to kill people, presented in, like, the sequence after sequence in a form. It's like, well, maybe they're yeah. not. Maybe there's other influences to that. Yeah, but even, even I think when you're looking at, you know, when schools would have challenge matches, and it would be on the raised late-eye, and there would be a big audience there. Mm. There's also an element of a spectacle there, you know? And and when you look at 
say like Mantis, we have this common like hooked, you know, hooked pose. And yeah. then you look at Shetlin and they've got, you know, these other poses. There's definitely an element of sort of like getting the audience psyched up. Like, you know, you, you, you throw a few punches at the guy's head, you know, you get them a nice takedown, you slam them, you slam them onto the ground and then you sort of drop back and you go into your Mantis pose and look <laughs> at them and everyone's like, that's the Mantis guy, you know? Yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, but I see, whenever I try and talk about this stuff on the internet, I just upset people and they get upset with me. And it, again, they take it as a personal attack, like you're saying, you're calling me a dancer, not a fighter or something. It's like, oh, no, yeah. no, not, not really. <laughs> but yeah. People... We, we sort of look at all of this stuff from such a modern mindset and we forget that the pre-modern world was so different and that people's worldview and their sort of ideas of, you know, even like how you would categorize, so it's getting a bit philosophical, but like, you know, how would you categorize combat versus performance versus dance and other things? And I think there was a lot more crossover in the pre-modern world with different things mm. than we perhaps, you know, give credit for. Yeah, especially with China, which went through all those in the 20th century and for all those different sort of modernization processes mm. that because the European powers had effectively invaded and proved that European methods were superior, the Chinese nation had to, like, very quickly adopt all these different methods. And along with that came this sort of categorization of things, I think, which was a very Western yeah. idea, you know, which we got from Plato. Um, so we've had it for ages, um, you know, putting, putting things in little boxes and that's that and this is this. Like you say before, in the pre-modern China, it was everything was kind of like a hodgepodge of everything. Even the legal system was like tied up in their whole like religion and ritual culture and everything. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think you know, there's um, there was sort of a, I don't know if I, if if the right word will be like a sanitization of martial arts, mm. which was what the the Guoshu movement and the Jingwu movement were really about, you know, because after the Boxer Rebellion was like such a, you know, dramatic failure. Um, and then once China moved to being a republic, there was a lot of different voices out there, you know, people were hotly debating like, you know, where should China go? What should China be? And there were people that just completely wanted rid of martial arts. They were like, this is just some superstitious crap. Mm. We need to get rid of this. These are just people like putting talismans, you know, around their necks and, and conjuring up demons and whatever. Like, we should get rid of this. But what eventually came about was a sort of middle ground where it was like, okay, let's reform the martial arts. Let's um, kind of get rid of a lot of the supernatural stuff and the, the theatrical stuff. And let's, you know, make it more of... They, I guess they sort of took on board... They, copied a little bit like the the japanese budo movement that was going on at a similar time mm. yeah because you know, japan and china were quite friendly at one point weren't they before yeah obviously before japan invaded then <laughs> mm. <laughs> things weren't that friendly but uh <laughs> yeah china definitely looked they sort of borrowed from that and tried to make it more like a national like like a way of instilling national values mm. you know a sense of chineseness in the population yeah, exactly. And then you've got the whole, the Western world looking at Eastern things and sort of fetishizing them in a sort of Orientalist worldview. And, yeah. you know, and then, and then, and then Bruce Lee appears and, mm. and becomes this worldwide star. And uh, all these, I mean, that's, again, it's a continuation of the entertainment theater tradition. It's just in movies, you know. Yeah. But all these things are just like a heady mix. With what we and then here we are today, <laughs> with this yeah. various, various different strands. And but I guess the thing is today, like you, you can go and learn something really traditionally Chinese, and you can also go and learn some sort of modern in quote marks jujitsu. Like we yeah. we have options these days where, which people I guess didn't have before, where we can choose from almost a smorgasbord of different things and just go where the. Where, where honestly, the I think if you, if, if you gave those masters of old the options that we have, mm. I mean, who's to say they wouldn't? I mean, they, they 
trained in what was available to them in the day, you know, within the the confines of a of a non-open society like China was during the Qing Dynasty, things like Chinese medicine, sort of Buddhist and Taoist ideas and things, that was the science of the day for those people. So if they wanted to get better at their, I guess, sports, for lack of a better word, their their chosen art. You know, much like now, an athlete would be like, okay, well, what's the latest developments in sports science? Or what about, you know, some psychology that might help me get a better mindset? They were doing the same thing. They were accessing the the various bodies of knowledge that were available at the time. And I think if you gave them, you know, the modern stuff we have now, I, I think they'd probably adopt a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the figures in my lineage going back is um, Guru Zhang or Ku Chang, depending on mm. how you pronounce it, um, and and he trained in. You know, he was like a northern stylist, but as soon as he got down south and met Choi Fut, he was like, "Oh, this is good. I'll train mm. some of this." And then he, he, you know, then they always became sort of done together, Northern Shaolin mm. and Choi Fut, and it would have been one of the first times that somebody like him would have had access to other styles, and he mm. definitely embraced them. I mean, they were all Chinese styles, but who's to say that if he hadn't had other options available, he wouldn't also have been very interested in, let's say, boxing or something, you know, Western boxing. Well, there is sort of a bit of um, speculation that some of the early 20th century masters in China were taking uh, boxing and and other things from uh, Christian missionaries. Mm. And definitely a lot of the, um, like the calisthenics that they, that, you know, sort of YMCA calisthenics type stuff yeah. that was quite popular in Europe in the early 20th century. Yeah. That definitely had an impact on the way martial arts were practiced in, in say, like the Jingwu Association and, and the Guoshuguan and, and things like that. You know, that idea of doing, you know, everybody sort of lining up doing line drills was very much inspired by know what europeans were doing soldiers as well because i mean that's how soldiers drill right so Mm. they're seeing western soldiers drilling a lot yeah so i mean that's another influence yeah i mean i I think i found out the other day that the first boxing gym in japan opened in 1898 or something like that like it was a long time ago and boxing's always had a big influence on kempo which is one of the things my teacher learned in japan Mm. and boxing had a big influence on that you know like you can see when he does Kempo, it's kind of just like a boxer's guard they yeah. put up, you know, and it like that's a direct influence. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mantis has a lot of things that you could say are similar to Western boxing. I'm not saying it comes from it, but, you know, I don't think I've got, sort of got enough evidence to really say that for sure, but yeah, there's sure. definitely things that are similar. Um, some of the ideas of head movement, like the idea of feints and jabs and things, yeah, definitely similar. Mm, that's it. We're heretics now. We're going to be burned at the stake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suggesting Western influence to Chinese martial arts. Mm. How dare you? So, um, I, so do you think you'll be continuing with this jujitsu that you started? How How do you feel yeah, about yeah, sure. the future? Definitely, I, I, I love it. It's so much fun. Yeah. Do you find you? Did you need to get fitter to do it, or did he find you were unfit? It's kind of a like a different fitness. Um, mm. Because I also, like, so the, the gym where I'm at, you, you pay your membership and you can do whatever style you want, you know, you drop into any class. So I also do some kickboxing and Muay Thai. And one right. thing I find with that is, you know, it, it's a lot more, because it's a lot more rhythmic. So there's a lot, there's a big fitness requirement, but it's a lot more, e- it's a lot easier to sort of regulate yeah. yourself. But jujitsu is it's so difficult to, to, I feel, to regulate your breathing and to kind of get yourself into that, that rhythm because you, you are just being crushed so much. And yeah, everything's and very that's present. the thing. Until you can control the pace, until you're good enough to control the pace of the other person, you have to go at their pace. And, mm. and quite often it's not, you know, it's not optimal for you to have to go at somebody else's pace when they're better than you because they're, they're putting it on you, right? So, yeah. they, they're, they're, you know, that's the thing with jiu-jitsu. You make the other person work constantly 
until they're exhausted, and then they're a lot easier to beat then. But you know, it's like there's that common Tai Chi phrase, you know, like four ounces repel a thousand pounds and using yeah. softness to some hardness and things. And one thing I like with jujitsu is, you know, you don't sort of have these poetic ways of expressing this stuff, but it's still kind of innately there. And, mm. and you kind of learn it by doing it because if you do just go in and try and muscle, muscle it, you're not going to no, last you, you're No, you just, last you know, 30 seconds, don't you? I'm kind of forced to learn to be soft and to try to use as minimal, for, uh, as minimal strength as you can. Yeah, exactly. It's not philosophical in the same way at all, but it's 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 working on the um, like it's not working on the mind level so much as the body level. You have to feel, you have to feel what's going on, and you you can't think your way through it. You know, you have to. It's a feel and a a reaction to the other person. I was just thinking about that phrase that four ounces beats a thousand pounds. It's is there a better way of describing the end position of an armbar than that moment where if you set an armbar up perfectly you just need to just touch with your finger to to break the elbow you know it's yeah i, I think no, nobody says four ounces and a thousand pounds in jiu-jitsu but you could equally just apply that more poetic imagery to to what we're doing and it would just fit perfectly yeah there's also something very internal about jiu-jitsu i would say like it, it, it's not sort of talked about, you know, as we've said, but so last week I had the opportunity to roll with my teacher's teacher and like, you oh, know, nice. I thought my teacher was like the top dog. I mean, I, <laughs> he, he is really, really good. But I met his teacher and rolled with him and it was like, he didn't do anything, Yeah, <laughs> but he just like, he just sort of out of nowhere, all of a sudden I'm in an armbar and then he'd stop and he'd look at me and he'd go, what's your biggest problem? And I go, I'm in an armbar. He goes, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> kind of let me figure the way out. And then all of a sudden, he's like over at the other side pinning me. And he goes, what's your biggest problem? And I'm like, your weight's on me. What are you going to do about it? And he would just keep, mm. like he, he, but he hardly seemed to do anything. Yeah. And it was very, <laughs> it was very similar to the kind of feeling when you, in China, and you do push hands with like a top level internal master like a, like a real top tai chi guy or, or somebody it, it is very much the same thing they don't seem to really use a lot of complicated techniques but they just seem to do something to you and you don't quite realize how or why yeah and it's that it's those years isn't it you, you can't just you can't become like that straight away mm -hmm. it, you only get like that through years and years of doing it like mm -hmm. um and, and you see the same thing in not just martial arts, but in any sort of skilled activity. Someone who's been doing something for 50 years, very minimal movements in whatever they do, and, they, and it does, yeah. doesn't seem like they're doing anything. It's just such a honed kind of awareness and understanding of, of the body. Like, not even an understanding, but sort of like an innate, um, no, sort of intuitive thing. Yeah. Like, you know, they don't really need to think about it. It just kind of happens the body just sort of knows what it wants to do i'm thinking of that chang zhu there's the verse about the guy who's carving up an ox and he oh yeah, yeah and he yeah. just says i i ox just let the blade i follow the blade i don't i don't try and do anything i let the blade do the work and it's yeah it's that idea isn't it mm. is it so that's the kind of thing i think that's quite refreshing about jujitsu for me is that there is no mysticism or there's no like at the end of the day it is really the end result is the same skill. It's it's this, as I say, this refined awareness of body and how to use it. I mean, jiu-jitsu primarily on the ground, say like tai chi push hands, you're standing up. But, you know, they don't need to sort of drag you along with, you know, seminars and, and complicated language to make sure you don't really understand what's going on. And mm. it's just sort of like, you know, I said to my teacher's teacher afterwards, I was like, so, so man, how do you do that? And he goes, just trained a lot longer than you just work on your <laughs> basics and work on your basics and 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 you know ask the right questions and, and practice and he said i'm still working on the same things as you i i'm still working on how to improve getting out of side control and things but you know it's just at a different level i'm doing it with other other black belts and, and you're doing it with other white belts mm. great so well i, I really hope you continue this jiu-jitsu journey because I you know this I do the same thing as you basically 
Um, mm. But long ago. <laughs> right, anyway, I think we've done about an hour. So um, I think we should wrap up. But that was a great chat, Will. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, let's hope we haven't alienated our Chinese martial art friends <laughs> any, more, <laughs> any more than was necessary. <laughs> Probably look, look at YouTube like tomorrow and the subscriber count will like, suddenly have oh, dropped. The hater comments will be out. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe these two have betrayed Chinese martial arts again. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to follow your latest trip to Taiwan, how do they how do they do that and how do they follow your work uh subscribe to the channel on youtube monkey steals peach yeah so the channel's called monkey steals peach and yeah. it says something like travels in china or documentaries or something i think next to it um yeah but if if i mean if you yeah if you just search monkey steals peach on, on youtube it'll, it'll come up excellent cool well, there is actually a band called peach stealing monkeys that i found oh no <laughs> <laughs> been around longer than me so but yeah but anyway it's not that it's the martial art one so okay excellent anyway um great chatting and enjoy your taiwan trip and i look forward to yeah thank you i'm sure to seeing the uh results on your channel yeah thank you Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about the Tai Chi Notebook podcast at www.thetaichinotebook.com. Thanks for listening and I hope you'll tune in next time.